Salutations, everyone, and welcome to the Elitist Podcast by Vantage, your home for politics, news, and culture. I'm your host, Kevin White. Today we have two topics on the agenda. First, we're going to address whether or not the black community is primarily liberal or conservative. Second, we're going to rank black social problems from one to three. Now, I really wanted to address these two issues because... I feel like there is a lot of misconception about black morals based on tangible data, such as our voter statistics and these various social justice causes that would convince someone outside of the community that we actually care about all these things, which is why we're ranking them by priority today. But first, let's run this ad. Let's get into some news. The Bay Area Financial Education Foundation has improved financial literacy for over 38,000 high school students and 200 Bay Area teachers. Visit them and donate at bafef.org. Back to you, Kevin. Real estate mogul Jay Morrison raised 9.6 million in investments from big names such as Obama and Young Jeezy as well as hundreds of thousands in grassroots crowdfunding in the first seven days of his historic IPO. The Tulsa Real Estate Fund is essentially a real estate investment trust and crowdfund designed to revitalize urban communities. This is good gentrification. A lot of people disagree with me about gentrification, but we can save that for another episode. Just know that as you see and as I feel, Gentrification can work and it can be good under certain contingencies. But anyway, if you don't know Jay Morrison, then you should. Aside from being a real estate mogul, he also has a huge legacy center in Atlanta that teaches the youth financial literacy and rents out office space to various black businesses. He also frequents disenfranchised neighborhoods to teach financial literacy outside, literally on the corner with a chalkboard surrounded by these gatherings of 80 to 100 people who follow him on social media, essentially. Also, that inadvertently rakes in sales for the online real estate courses he provides at his online school. So, I mean, this man is an American history icon in the making, and I want to thank him personally for making an impact in an area that's actually important and will yield an everlasting return. Rihanna is officially a billionaire at 1.6, thanks to her fantastic company, Fenty, and her pretty good film projects. I usually skip financial and business news that have to do with rappers and athletes because they're a real black businessman and women doing what they do every day. But goddammit, if you can reach a $2 billion valuation, you can sit at the table any day. Pull up a chair, Riri. Okay, so there I was watching Bloomberg, enjoying my chamomile tea, and they were talking to the U.S. Secretary of Labor about how a decent amount of people still have yet to be vaccinated, right? And how the skepticism around it has been influenced by politics so much. Then the correspondent says something interesting that I wanted to expand on. He asked the secretary, if this is so politically motivated, then why are so many black people still unvaccinated? As if the majority of us are liberal, which is a very common belief, even amongst black people. But is that the reality? Not at the slightest. When it comes to religion, 
homophobia, group loyalty, contrarianism, closed-mindedness to new ideas and political cynicism, anyone from a black community is well aware of how conservative the majority of us really are. But since most black people don't vote, and those of us in higher social classes vote overwhelmingly liberal, it's assumed that all black people are liberal, and that just isn't true. It doesn't matter what country you're in, and it doesn't matter what race you are. If you come from a working class, rural community deprived of higher education, cultural and ethnic diversity, there is a strong probability, backed by an abundance of longitudinal study and data, that you are going to be morally conservative. Although, in the United States, conservatism in the black community looks quite different than your average due to the unique history Africans have in this country. In America, we have two black conservative umbrellas. We have the black nationalist conservatives who are firm on these Booker T. Washington, Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X type of beliefs and philosophies. And these people cannot and will not ever get with liberalism to any degree. And they certainly don't trust liberal politicians, including Obama. They're the largest demographic in the black community. They don't vote and they don't have any political representation because as we all know, Republicans aren't the biggest fans of black pride and black nationalism, nor are they willing to address black social problems or empower any black people to do so on their behalf. They just have a broader focus in mind. But this brings me to the other side of black conservatism, which is the Republican side. Even though quote unquote Uncle Tom's may be the one skinny slice on a large black pizza, they do vote and they do represent the bulk of black conservative votes and political power, despite their political causes and interests being entirely irrelevant to the black community as a whole. But with Trump and Obama bringing politics further into pop culture, along with so many far left Americans fueling the fire of political correctness, hell bent on integrating what many Americans see as radical social and cultural change, I'm interested to see if black conservatives will begin to vote and run as Republicans in small black districts, slowly building black influence within the right wing landscape. I guess we'll see. But now we're going to move on to the second topic. When it comes to black social problems, you need a thin diagram to keep track of the wide range of inherent dysfunction that has matured over the past century. If you were to watch the news and hear anchors, analysts, and activists speak on black social problems, you would hear about all sorts of issues ranging from police brutality to black abortion data. Some problems such as racism and the tech industry may not even exist. You would also hear all sorts of solutions for these issues, some rational, some irrational. It would seem like there are a lot of mobile and abstract targets, a lot of confusion and a lot of ifs and maybes. Which makes me think, if I was a politician trying to address the issues of a social group unfamiliar to mine and they came to me from all directions with all sorts of issues, how would I figure out which one has the most significance so that I could prioritize my resources properly? Well, one may assume that pop culture will take care of that issue, right? Because after all, political causes rise to the top of the media agenda all the time. And as of now, it would seem that police brutality is the most important social problem in the black community, right? But now as a politician, I have to ask myself, what constitutes a social problem's importance? 
its popularity or its impact. Well, most politicians take the easy route and address the popular issues openly and diligently, but as a true politician, part of me has to question what real impact am I making? And upon finding out that my primary agenda isn't as significant as I may have hoped, I must now go about finding the means and cause for real change. For the politician who's lost in the wide sea of complaints and problems being pushed by social justice warriors looking for something worth your time, I'm going to give you a top three, and I'm going to start from the top. Number one, education, primarily K through eight education, is a common denominator in most of African America's social problems. However, being the second largest social institution next to the home gives our education system a unique advantage in developing the same communities it's let down for decades. Let me explain. According to the CDC, the leading causes of death in African America are for the most part related to high sodium, high calorie diets and poor exercise. And then homicide sneaks its way in there. And on the non-lethal side, there are high rates of incarceration, a gaping hole in healthcare coverage and low rates in the accumulation of assets and wealth among African born Africans. First and second generation Africans have entirely different numbers, but that's another conversation. Let's stay focused. Now, you may be wondering what any of these problems have to do with school. After all, these kids all have families, right? Why can't they learn how to address these things at home? Well, first off, ages one through nine are by far the most essential years in human development because the subconscious mind is under complete construction and there are three major social institutions chiseling the character and morals of our youth at that time. Home, school, and religious institutions such as church. The home is where we watch adults and pick up on their morals, behavior, and characteristics. Let's call it data. Then school and places of worship are the social landscapes that allow us to test and exercise what we've learned to see what works in society and what doesn't. Then over time, we build layers over the quote-unquote bad data and expose the quote-unquote good data according to what works in our newly rendered perception of society. Now, school may not always be the starting point for these issues, but you can see within these circumstances how school can easily perpetuate and even manipulate the development of these problems simply by altering the social landscape or failing to adjust it accordingly. Then, when it comes to problems such as homicide and incarceration, you can draw a straight line from the education system to the prison system. Seven in ten prisoners in general are reading at an elementary school level. These people are complete degenerates manufactured by us every year that we ignore the clear and present dysfunction in our education system. Number two, real estate discrimination. Jim Crow laws of the recent past, and when I say recent, I mean my grandparents, not too long ago, have given birth to a new cycle of dysfunction, and that dysfunction is rent. In the U.S., wealth is king and real estate is the foundation of its power. Unless you own a business, the odds of you Building generational wealth without real estate is abysmal. And just two generations ago, we had an entire ethnic group of people banned from accumulating this power by the government. So it's only right and it's only possible that the cycle is renovated by its creator. It's a sociological fact that social groups and communities cannot change from within. There must be a new variable introduced to the group, such as an outsider moving in or the government pulling strings. This is why so many communities in America do the same thing 
over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and they don't grow outside of metropolitan areas where there are always brand new people coming in and out. Number three, prosecution within the justice system. Black people and Hispanics are not the only people breaking the law in this country, but they're damn sure the only people who get arrested and go to jail for it. A black man is three times as likely to go to prison for committing the same crime a white man does. Now, sure, the police reports have some influence on how suspects are charged, but it ultimately comes down to the prosecutors and DAs who hold full discretion. Now, in my opinion, this ranks much higher than police brutality for the simple fact that I expect police brutality when the majority of police officers are people who don't come from our community and are intimidated by us. And trust me, they want diversity. But I mean, look, we're only going to get so much diversity because we're only 15% of the country. We're going to be outnumbered in almost every place. So the best we can do is address internal affairs, which Obama's done a great job with, with his pattern and practice investigations. But now I want to address some of your questions. The first question is from Tariq in Los Angeles, and he wants to know how Black Lives Matter transitioned from a movement about the protection of black life to a movement about gay rights. <laughs> Look, Black Lives Matter has one message, and that message is don't let the police kill black people and brush it under the rug like it's nothing while white people get to swing on the police and pull guns out of them with no repercussion. That's it. Everything else you can consider to be quid pro quo. If you have a social justice movement and you want to spread your message, you need to cooperate with other social justice movements. The Black Panthers did the same exact thing when they partnered up with the Rainbow Coalition and all of the anti-war protest groups that were trying to end the war in Vietnam. It's just a part of the game. So if you don't like it, change it. Start your own movement. But if you don't want to change it or you can't change it, then change your attitude and look the other way. It has nothing to do with you. The next question comes from Anonymous. Uh-oh. <laughs> and he's from Anonymous. Okay. He wants to know why Black Lives Matter. Oh, my God. <laughs> I like how every black activist group is Black Lives Matter. But anyway, he wants to know why Black Lives Matter has teamed up with the teachers union in Baltimore to enable critical race theory as opposed to addressing their terrible literacy statistics. Okay, now he's alluding to a statistic by the U.S. Administration of Education that recently stated that only 14% of Baltimore students were reading at grade level, which is devastating. And it alludes to what I said earlier about education being paramount, not only in the black community, but every community, seeing that it's the common denominator in 
the majority of America's social problems and America's conflicts. But as far as critical race theory, it's stupid. It's not going to work. It's success is far too contingent on the teachers and the people charged with providing a national standard for it. I mean, there are completely different types of black people across the country and a lot of them have different beliefs that may or may not agree with the things that are being taught in these programs and they can alter it and create a shit show that we as a people end up getting blamed for in unison. So even though the person who asked this question definitely does not care about black youth or their education, I do agree that we should dump all this educational racism shit and focus on things that are actually important because the only way to rid our country of racism is to integrate diversity into social institutions at a young age. And that's just not going to happen because 70% of this country is poor white hicks and they live amongst themselves. They don't live among any other demographics. So it's no surprise that they're still recycling the same 1920s beliefs and behavior, which is a major problem because with no familiarity, it's hard to build social capital, which is vital to a country so diverse. But on the other hand, film, Hollywood in general, and media have made major strides in connecting communities that would have never communicated. Even though there are a lot of bad depictions out there that have tarnished the reputation of certain ethnic groups, that can be undone and that can be changed. What's really important is that there's an opportunity for these bridges of communication to be constructed in a proper way and change American society for the better. Shaking these cancerous beliefs around not only racism, but climate change and healthy food and exercise. Although media is an entirely different conversation that we can address another day. Today, we've unfortunately run out of time. Please follow Vanish Podcast for weekly updates to both the elitist and lovers and friends. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Kevin White. Have a good weekend. This podcast is brought to you by Vantage, your home for business, science, news, and culture.